following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of... Yeah, it's that bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Kevin. This is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? What that boils down to is that we look at movies that are on Rotten Tomatoes and reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 1991's Hook, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, Julia Roberts, Bob Hoskins, Maggie Smith, Charlie Corsmo, Amber Scott, and Dante Basco. Hook is a 1991 fantasy film directed by Steven Spielberg. This film currently holds a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? Peter Pan has grown up to be a cutthroat merger and acquisitions lawyer and is married to Wendy's granddaughter. Captain Hook kidnaps his children and Peter returns to Neverland with Tinkerbell. With the help of her and the Lost Boys, he must remember how to be Peter Pan again in order to save his children by battling with Captain Hook once again. Okay, Hook, what is your history with this? I saw this in the theaters when it first came out. I was too young to remember this, but (laughs) I've heard my mother tell the story countless times when uh, she took me. Okay. The reason this is such a popular story for her to tell is that this is the only movie she's ever gone to see in which she fell asleep during the film. That's how that's how much my mother loved this movie. And she tells this story over and over and over. Over and over and over. Why? Again. What is the point of that? that? Sounds like a pointless story. I just like it. The movie comes up, Shul. Oh, I fell asleep with that one. Yeah. But a horrendous movie. But you weren't asleep, I take it. You were bouncing off the walls. I don't remember. I was was eight years old? I don't remember anything <laughs> from that. that. That's too long ago. Yeah, I don't remember this movie. I know I saw it as a kid, but I did not see it in the theater. I don't know. A lot of the stuff, I remembered a couple of the things as we watched it, but for the most part, this movie was, was completely forgotten. This movie seems to be beloved, though, by a lot of people. Really? Yeah, it is. Uh, during the early days of our podcast, it was requested a lot. A lot of people wanted us to see it, and there's a lot of those requests that were like, I love it, but it's okay. poor on Rotten Tomatoes. Please defend it. Mm-hmm. Will we defend it? I don't know. So I assume we both enjoyed it as kids. This is a really kid-friendly movie. Yeah, that's safe to say. I enjoyed it. Okay, so let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. First up, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, he was he was all right. He was pretty good, I thought. He he brought some life to the character, and I mean, he he needed to be pretty over the top, and he was. It's a pretty sweet mustache facial. Oh my god! Top ten. <laughs> yes, that bad facial hair. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, he was good. I enjoyed his performance in this. I thought he could have been more over the top, but yeah, he reined it in a little bit. Yeah, he's pretty good. Next up, Robin Williams, the man, the myth, the legend. Now, this movie, we watched the trailer before we watched the movie, and the trailer doesn't show anything in it at all whatsoever, except a lot of shots of Robin Williams' face. Yeah. So just that alone is what they use as their, as their marketing ploy. Like, his star must have been rising so high during that era that just him being in a movie would be enough oh, I'm sure. to get people to come in. I'm sure. He was subdued, right? Yeah, like Robin was. Williams that we know, I mean, this was he, he was at like a 1 or a 2 out of 10. He's a good actor. He can be. And I think he was, I think this would qualify as one of his better acting films. Really? Not one of the worst, worst ones like um, Patch Adams. A flubber? Bicentennial Man? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that's right. The triumphant return of Yes That Bad. <laughs> Robin Williams, Bicentennial Man himself. Did you, did you see Bicentennial Man? No, I had never seen it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, yeah, he, again, he did a good job. He, he was okay. He didn't blow me away, but he was passable. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't doing any Bicentennial Man stuff in this, but <laughs> he was okay. Next up, Julia Roberts. I completely forgot that she was in here. The triumphant return. <laughs> Julia Roberts. We first went toe-to-toe with her in Valentine's Day. Yep. Now she's back for more. Mm-hmm. Young Julia Roberts. What'd you think? Most of this movie, she's all by herself when she's acting. Yeah. Right? So she's Tinkerbell, so she's, she is shrunk down and added via movie magic <laughs> <laughs> into the screen and you can you can tell that she is acting all by herself in those scenes that she's not playing off anyone yeah it was not very good there is a part where she becomes normal sized and has a scene with Robin Williams and she was really good in that scene I thought okay because she finally had someone to actually act with and I thought she benefited from that are you generally a Julia Roberts supporter she's okay take it or leave it yeah okay I gotcha. What about her haircut in this movie? It was very un-Julia Roberts-like. Yeah, one for, out of five. For someone that's always, in a, not always, but in a lot of her movies, is very done up, I guess. Glamorous, yes. Her hair was very short and tomboyish. It was a look that you don't really see her. Yeah, it, it didn't work for her no. in this one. I find it to be extremely distracting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bob Hoskins. Stole the movie. He was good. Stole he the movie. He was good. He, he, he was quick with the jokes. Yep. He was on point. The physical comedy was great. Yeah. Mr. Who Framed Roger Rabbit himself. Yep. This guy. Super Mario Brothers himself. Right? He brought his A game. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. He really did. Every scene with him was, was great. I would say that he outshone everybody that he was Ab- with. Absolutely. He was great. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Maggie Smith. Man, she was... <laughs> <laughs> she was old in the 90s. But you see that that's more movie magic. Yeah, right? movie magic. Yeah, she was only 57 or something like that. And she's playing like a 97-year-old. <laughs> 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 well, who knows how old she even really is, right? All the time she spent in Neverland. Yes, that's a good point. She actually could be like 300 years <laughs> old. <laughs> <laughs> of all the people that are in this movie, I would say that she's probably the most powerful actor. Like, she's legit. Oh, yeah. There's no question that this is an actress yep. of the highest order. Act circles around Julia Roberts. That's her damn sure. Yeah. But she's just kind of, she's really subdued in this. But then again, she's, she's supposed to be playing a 3,000-year-old lady. <laughs> Three million years Years old. old. Yeah, she's older than the earth itself. Okay, that's pretty much it. Let's get on to the brief history of Hook. J.M. Barry considered writing a story in which Peter Pan grew up. His 1920 notes for the latest stage revival of Peter Pan included possible titles for another play, The Man Who Couldn't Grow Up or The Old Age of Peter Pan. The genesis of Hook started when director Steven Spielberg's mother often read him Peter and Wendy as a bedtime story. Spielberg explained in 1985, when I was 11 years old, I actually directed the story during a school production. I've always felt like Peter Pan. I still feel like Peter Pan. It has been very hard for me to grow up. I'm a victim of the Peter Pan syndrome. Seinfeld had that, right? Yeah. I swear they said that in the show. I'm pretty sure, yeah. In the early 1980s with Walt Disney Pictures, Spielberg began to develop the film, which would have closely followed the storyline of the 1953 animated film and 1924 silent film. He also considered directing Peter Pan as a musical with Michael Jackson in the lead. (laughs) The project was taken to Paramount Pictures where James V. Hart wrote the first script with Dustin Hoffman already cast as Captain Hook. Peter Pan entered pre-production in 1985 for filming to begin at sound stages in England. Elliot Scott had been hired as production designer. With the birth of his first son, Max, in 1985, Spielberg decided to drop out. I decided not to make Peter Pan when I had my first child, Spielberg commented. I didn't want to go to London and have seven kids on wires in front of blue screens. I wanted to be home 
as the dad. Around this time, Spielberg considered directing Big, which carried similar motifs with Peter Pan. In 1987, Spielberg permanently abandoned Peter Pan, feeling he expressed his childhood and adult themes in Empire of the Sun. Meanwhile, Paramount and Hart moved forward on production with Nick Castle as director. Hart began working on a new storyline when his son, Jake, showed his family a drawing. We asked Jake what it was, and he said it was a crocodile eating Captain Hook, but that the crocodile really didn't eat him, he got away. Hart reflected. As it happens, I had been trying to crack Peter Pan for years, but I didn't just want to do a remake. So I went, wow, Hook is not dead. The crocodile is. We've all been fooled. Our family was having dinner and Jake said, daddy, did Peter Pan ever grow up? My immediate response was, no, of course not. (laughs) And Jake said, but what if he did? I'm picturing like the dad like raising a fist at the, at the, He's gonna beat him to death You stupid jerk Of course Shut he didn't up. grow up He just punches him I realized that Peter did grow up Just like all us baby boomers Who are now in our 40s I patterned him after several of my friends on Wall Street Where the pirates wear three-piece suits And ride in limos Whoa Whoa If only he could see In the future This movie's ahead of its time Sure is it, by 1989, Hart and Castle changed the title of Peter Pan to Hook and took it from Paramount to TriStar Pictures, headed by Mike Metavoy, who was Spielberg's first talent agent. Robin Williams signed on, but Williams and Hoffman had creative differences with Castle. Metavoy saw Hook as a vehicle for Spielberg and Castle was fired, but paid a $500,000 settlement. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Spielberg briefly worked together with Hart to rewrite the script before hiring Malia Scotch Marmo to rewrite Captain Hook's dialogue and Carrie Fisher for Tinkerbell's dialogue. The Writers Guild of America gave Hart and Marmo screenplay credit, while Hart and Castle were credited with story. Fisher went uncredited. The original production budget was set at $48 million, but ended up between 60 to 80 million. This was largely contributed to the shooting schedule, which ran 40 days over its original 76-day schedule. Spielberg explained, It was all my fault. I began to work at a slower pace than I usually do. He also found it difficult to work with Julia Roberts, who was suffering from a mental disorder after her breakup with Dylan McDermott. That's pretty scandalous. Yeah. The teddy bear from Captain Hook's cabin was accidentally given to Julia Roberts by Steven Spielberg when she checked into the hospital for nervous exhaustion. Spielberg realized his mistake the night before he was due to shoot a scene in Hook's cabin, and the prop department had to rustle up a lookalike in a matter of hours. There were frequent good-natured battle of wits exchanged between Williams and Hoffman. In one incident, Hoffman was not happy with his performance and asked for the scene to be reshot. Williams quipped, <laughs> to try acting. <laughs> That reminds me of like, did you ever see those behind the scenes of I Heart Huckabees where the director was going nuts and Dustin Hoffman was there? No. You can look that up. Okay. Robin Williams' upper body and arms were shades for his role in the film. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Dustin Hoffman appeared in two films about Peter Pan, (laughs) Hook and Finding Neverland. He was in that too. Following his appearance in Hook, close friend and former roommate Gene Hackman began calling him Hook as a joke. The name stuck, and his contemporaries call him by that nickname to this day. Oh, what a nightmare. What up, Hook? Because Tinkerbell was often in the air, Julia Roberts had an assistant whose sole responsibility was cleaning her feet. What is she, Jesus? 
Julia Roberts was nicknamed Tinker Hell because she was difficult to work with. Hey man, she was having a nervous breakdown, I guess. Cut her some slack. I guess, yeah, her relationship was rocky. She wasn't dealing with it well. The kissing couple who begin to float when some fairy dust lands on them are actually George Lucas and Carrie Fisher in a cameo. Steven Spielberg admitted to being disappointed with the final result of the movie. <laughs> yeah? Oh yeah? <laughs> Spielberg, Williams, and Hoffman did not take salaries for the film. Their deal called for the trio to split 40% of TriStar Pictures' gross revenues. They were to receive $20 million from the first $50 million in gross theatrical film rentals, with TriStar keeping the next $70 million in rentals before the three resumed receiving their percentage. That's a sweet deal. Yeah. The film went on to gross $119 million in North America and $181 million in foreign countries, accumulating a worldwide total of $300 million. Pretty good. Not too shabby. Hook was declared a financial success and is the fifth highest grossing pirate-themed film behind all four Pirates of the Caribbean film series in North American totals. Hook was the sixth highest grossing film in 1991 and the fourth highest worldwide. Hook was nominated for five categories in the 64th Annual Academy Awards. This included art direction, costume design, visual effects, which it lost to Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Makeup also lost to Terminator 2. And original score, When You're Alone, lost to Beauty and the Beast. Whoa, that's stiff competition right there. Yeah, yeah. sure it is. You're not, you're not beating those. Nope, 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 nope. Hook lost the Saturn Award for Best Fantasy Film to Aladdin. Oh, damn, what a year. <laughs> in which Robin Williams co-starred. Dustin Hoffman was nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Best Actor, Musical or Comedy. <laughs> lost to Robin Williams for The Fisher King. Ouch. John Williams was given a Grammy Award nomination. Julia Roberts received a Golden Raspberry Award nomination <laughs> for Worst Supporting Actress. I'm going to go on a limb and say that that behind the scenes stuff was more interesting than the movie we watched. Absolutely. That was good utterly stuff, right? fascinating. Yes, it was. Really good. Breakdowns, budget overruns, <laughs> tempers flailing. All of that needed was like someone dying on the set or something. That would uh-huh. be a perfect thing. Okay, Hook, here we are again going toe to toe with Mr. Steven Spielberg. It's been a while since The Lost World, Jurassic Park, movie I know you love. Uh-huh. Near and dear to your heart. Of course. And now here we are again with Hook. Before you even begin, have you read Peter Pan? What's your history with this? plot. No, I have. I don't even know what the real Peter Pan story is about. I mean, I, I know what the basics are. But yeah, me too. I'm in the same boat. But I couldn't tell you what happens at the end. I mean, I saw Finding Neverland, but that's no substitute for this. I think I might have seen the cartoon of Disney, but I don't remember it whatsoever. No yeah, I'm clue. sure I saw the Disney cartoon when I was little, but yeah, I don't remember. Pretty much all the stuff that I remembered about Peter Pan is pretty much just like the, the key talking points stuff yes. that they, they hinted at in this movie. Yep. So that's pretty much it. So this movie starts off with a play version version of Peter Pan. And I saw Finding Neverland, and the best part of that movie was when they had a play version of Peter Pan. And what'd you think of the play version of Peter Pan in this movie? I mean, it was just a little kid play. Yeah? How'd they do? It was alright, I guess. Hey, don't hold back. (laughs) Those kids want to play with the big boys. They need constructive criticism. Okay, so Robin Williams is in the audience and already they automatically set him up as being a bad dad. Mm-hmm. And here we are on Father's Day of all days recording this. You're right. It's perfect Father's Day movie, Hook. You know, bad dad, he gets redemption in the end. That's true. It's the kind of movie you watch with your kids. <laughs> <laughs> so Robin Williams starts off, he's a deadbeat dad of sorts. I mean, he has his kids, but... <laughs> he's a deadbeat 
feed his there with his, his wife and his kids. But he neglects them. He he's does. a workaholic. He does. He, he does. He's really ahead of his time, though. Yeah. Right? Because this is 1991. He's got a cell phone. Cell phone rings. He takes that call in the middle of the play. People in the, in the audience have been like, what the hell is that? Right? They, they don't know what cell phones are. You probably didn't even get really annoyed yet, right? Because it was, that was such a rare thing. Yes. You're like, oh, that guy's got a cell phone. It's pretty cool. But then fast forward like four or five more years, that guy's a huge jerk. The fact that he has a cell phone clued me in that he must be super, super rich to have oh, yeah. a cell phone in 1991. Uh-huh. That let me know right away that this is some Darwinian capitalism going on in this oh, movie. Yeah. So Robin Williams picks up a phone call and it's his office and they're like, we need you to come in to a midnight meeting tomorrow morning. <laughs> Even though it's the morning, it's a midnight meeting. Yeah. And they do something that I think is just absurdly comical <laughs> and stupid and lazy. Lazy, lazy screenwriting, I think. They need to set up that Robin Williams is a bad dad. And they do it in a really sloppy way. So this is what happens. Robin Williams is in the audience watching his daughter be Wendy mm-hmm. in the play. How meta. <laughs> And his little kid, his little boy, is sitting right next to him. Robin Williams Jr. Jr. is sitting next to him. Mm -hmm. And his wife is on the other side. When he gets a phone call, very loudly, he's like, Yes, I'll see you at that meeting tomorrow. I'll see you there bright and early in the morning. The kid turns over to his dad. He goes, But dad, what about my big game? Tomorrow's the big game. (laughs) And he's got a baseball mitt and and a ball in his hand immediately. It's like, but but dad, my game. He might as well have been in full uniform and had like a baseball bat with him. It's really hammer. At home. What'd you think of this? I thought it was funny. I thought it was stupid. Uh, Daddy, my game. Ah. It was kind of. I mean, why? Why would that kid be carrying around a baseball, baseball with him? at the play? Why would they let him take it? I guess you could just be playing with it, but. <laughs> I'd want something to play with if I was sitting there at that play. The bore, yeah. Boredom. I'd be bored. So we get some shots of Robin Williams working. Yeah. Now, corporate life in 1991 is a little different than corporate life in 2001. <laughs> 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 you don't care about this, but one of the guys who was in the background, he was the head guy from Stargate, SU on the TV show. This is now the second movie we've seen on Yes That Bad where that guy has popped up in the background. And I'm so happy to see him. Don S. Davis. Last time I saw him, he was in the Uninvited. I'm so happy for you. So, Robin Williams is walking down the hall. He's got all these people smiling, hustling with them. They're moving, they're grooving, they're hustling and bustling. They're having the time of their life. Yes, they are. It looks like they're just kind of hanging out, having fun, walking down the hallway. Is that like how your office is like? Yeah, absolutely. That's what everyone does. (laughs) So, they get to the elevator and one of the most ridiculous things I've seen in a movie happens. Ever. Ever. I mean, back in 1991, they probably thought that these guys were the coolest things on earth. Oh, yeah. This does not stand the test of time, I'm it's afraid. A, so Robin Williams takes his cell phone and he puts it in a, a holster, which is on his belt, which I've seen people use those. People still use them today. Weird people. I don't think yeah, I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> and some guy, he like, like squares off against Robin Williams, holds his hand out like they're about to have an old west duel. Yeah, high noon. Everyone like stops. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like waiting with anticipation and some woman, she like makes a phone ringing sound and both guys, Robin Williams and this other guy, they reach down, draw their cell phones up, flip it open. Pull out the antenna. Pull out the antenna and put it up to their ear. First one to pull it to the ear, he won the show. She out. Winner takes all. Robin Williams. Absolutely. They were cheering like he was 
<laughs> like the king. Like he just won the Olympics. I've never seen a cell phone shootout before. Have you? Do you think we'll ever see one again? I don't think so. I think this might be the only one that ever happened. I mean, they could do some corny crap today with like people whipping out their iPhones and downloading an app or something. Oh, what if that's just an app in itself? The shootout app. <laughs> <laughs> right? Whoever. It gets enabled. So you sync up with the other person's phone. That's okay. in proximity. You have to like put it in something like in your pocket or something. And then, yeah, you got to pick it out and hit a specific spot on the phone. First person to do it. The electronic, it would know. The first person to tap it wins. Kevin, sounds like a million, billion, trillion dollar idea. Get I don't on think, that. I don't think we should put this on the free podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody uses this, see yourself soon. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead to me. <laughs> You'll be hearing from our yeah, it's a bad corporate law team. Yeah. <laughs> so Robin Williams, of course, he's a deadbeat dad, so he doesn't show up for the little kids' baseball game. I mean, this is typical Hollywood movie crap, right? Yep. We've seen this ten jillion times before. That's a uh-huh. number, right? I mean, that's how many times we've Absolutely. seen. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a little twist on it this time, though. Okay, a little plot twist? Because he sends a camera crew. Oh, yeah, yeah, Right, yeah. he sends a guy with a camcorder to film it, because... It's a plot that counts. Absolutely. Who's the real victim here? Well, the little kid, he's not happy, of course, because his daddy wasn't there to see him play baseball. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't take it well, quite frankly. No, he looks back, he sees the guy with the video camera, and he's just immediately disgusted with his father. <laughs> to the point where he just he just basically lets the, the pitcher strike him out. He doesn't yeah. put up a fight. That's like the, a scene in a movie that we've seen it countless times before, right? Where, oh, they didn't come to my play. And they look out in the audience and there's that one empty seat. <laughs> yeah. Like, how'd you know they were going to sit there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after all this happens, they're, they hop a plane. They're going to London to visit their grandma, Wendy. Mm-hmm. And th- this is actually pretty funny. The little kid, he draws a picture of their plane ride. <laughs> yeah. And he pretty much comes up with the idea for Lost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, he... he he drew it right there and there in crayon form. Yeah. It was Damon Lindelof right there. Yeah, he's young Damon Lindelof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the kid draws a picture of the airplane crashing with flames coming off the wings. <laughs> and there's the mother, the son, daughter. They've all got parachutes. They're gliding to safety. <laughs> and then there's one person just in the air falling without a parachute. And Rob Lee's like, who's that? Like, That's you, daddy. <laughs> yeah. He's falling to his death. That was probably one of the biggest laughs I thought in this movie. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, that. yeah. That's funny. Then the kid, he shows that he's pretty savvy about Wall Street himself. He makes an off-color remark about... <laughs> The state of the financial system. This, this is a real contemporary feel to this movie, right? It does. Because Robin Williams says, I'm going to be there at your next game, son. My word is my bond. To which his son replies, Yeah, junk bonds. Oh! Burn. <laughs> Sickest burn I've ever heard. What does he know what a junk bond is? I don't even know what a junk bond is. <laughs> Yeah, and then this this brat kid, he takes a baseball and starts pounding it on the window of the airplane. Oh, man. People would lose their minds today if, if some kid was doing that, right? Absolutely. Shut up! Someone's screaming from all down there. Yeah, so Robin Williams is afraid of flying, and he- Get it? Yeah, ha ha. <laughs> So Riley freaks out because he's afraid that the window is going to like explode and suck them out of the airplane. Yeah. I don't blame him. All right. So they get to London. They meet Maggie Smith. There's an old guy there. He keeps saying that he lost his marbles. And we get hints that Maggie Smith was actually Wendy from the original stories. She says that J.M. Barry, the guy who came up with Peter Pan, took the stories that she wrote and turned them into Peter Pan. Is that true? Like, did he really do that? I, I assume that he just came up with it himself. Yeah, I would. I he would copied. 
need some little kids' ideas? You saw Finding Neverland. I remember nothing about that movie except for, you know, you know, here, the only thing I remember about that movie is the fact that I rented Saw from Netflix. Uh-huh. And instead of Saw, I got Finding Neverland. That does not. That downgrade. Was, that's a big downgrade. <laughs> So wait, was it I in? Ended up, I ended up watching it. It was, no, it was in the envelope for Saw. Stop it. And in there was Finding Neverland. And I had to watch Finding Neverland. I just watched it. I'm like, what the hell? Wow, that's really interesting. But remember, that's 2005 era Netflix. I don't remember anything about that movie. So who, who knows? Could this be right? I don't know. I mean, we could very easily look it up on Wikipedia, but. Nope. That's not the yes, that bad style. Not going to happen. Too much work. Not going to happen. This, <laughs> this podcast is built on laziness, not <laughs> research. During all these London scenes, the music is like, swelling and it's really sounding familiar to my trained musical ears. Oh yeah? I was like, hey, did John Williams do the score for this? And you were like, of course he did. And to me, this sounds like he was practicing for Harry Potter. So this performance was a practice for Potter? Oh, Kevin. (laughs) Kevin. (laughs) Amazing alliteration. Astonishing achievement. Okay, so to make a long story short, uh, Robin Williams has essentially become the dad he hated so much from Jumanji. Mm-hmm. A little role reversal for this guy. So I guess it's the third movie we see when <laughs> yeah. he keeps popping up. So so the parents, they go to some giant gala slash masquerade ball somewhere else. Yeah, we didn't see the masquerade ball, but I'm pretty confident there was one after the gala. No, they had their masks. They just had them under the table, so okay. you couldn't see them. Okay. So they're, they're at the gala, and while they're there, someone in the middle of the night kidnaps the kid. When they get back home, they see these slash marks all through the walls, like someone keyed the wall. (laughs) With a sword, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Yeah, and there's a letter on the wall that says, Dear Peter Pan, please come visit me. I have your kids. Please come visit me. I'm lonely. I miss you so much. And that's pretty much what what it boils down to, right? Yeah, pretty much. And they call the cops. And I got to say, these parents are doing this pretty well. I mean, their kids were just kidnapped in the middle of the night in a foreign country. Uh Uh-huh. They're taking it pretty damn well. I'd be flipping out. They're just sitting there in calm, cool, and collective. Robin Williams is totally monotone. He's not upset. The mom takes a nap. Yeah. She just goes to bed and goes to sleep without saying a word. Maybe she's jet legs. (laughs) You know, I had a really rough day. I'm going to bed. (laughs) (laughs) I'll deal with this in the morning. At this point, I gotta admit, I'm into this movie all in. 100%. If I had to give this movie a score at this point, four out of five. Yeah, I'm in total agreement. I'm dying. I'm like, this is great stuff. Compared to the last movie we watched, (laughs) this is a masterpiece. (laughs) I'm like, man, this is really good. Yeah. All this buildup is really great. So I'm also going to say that watching the trailer right before this helped it. The trailer was the first 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Right? And didn't show you anything beyond that. There's a real sense of anticipation. I can only imagine what that must have been like when you when this first came out, right? If that was the trailer you saw. Yeah, they were pretty ambiguous with this movie because the trailer showed nothing about the Peter Pan stuff uh-huh. or the Neverland stuff. And the tra- the poster was just Captain Hook's hook, mm-hmm. pretty much, right? Yeah. That was like their teaser image. Yep. Yeah, they, they kept it really close to the chest, I guess. I'm looking forward to where this is going to go. I think we've learned anticipation. That's deadly. Oh, darkest hour. <laughs> this is going to be our darkest hour in a couple of minutes. <laughs> so the cops leave and Maggie... Gyllenhaal! <laughs> I actually almost said Maggie Grace. <laughs> 
Maggie Smith has so much grace. So the police leave and Maggie Smith calls Robin Williams into a room and she says, you need to remember because you're the only one that can save your children. And after a pretty long scene, she says, you're Peter Pan. But that play that your daughter was just in, <laughs> this book that, that, that's been around. Guess what, bro? That's you. That's all about you. You just don't remember. So Robin Williams does what any normal person would do in that situation. He gets a stiff drink. And while he's tying one on, something a little supernatural happens. Yeah, uh, Tinkerbell flies in the window. So Tinkerbell's flying around. Robin Williams doesn't know what the hell it is. He... <laughs> She sprinkles some some of her fairy dust in his face, which she didn't appreciate because he sneezed and knocked her into a dollhouse. Yeah, she pinballed around in it. Which then led us to this effect where he's talking to her in this dollhouse. And, you know, from his perspective, he's talking into this dollhouse. And then when we see her, she's in this dollhouse. But it was a pretty cool effect. But you, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was great. I don't know how they did it. Maybe it's like one of those things, one of those like forced perspective tricks where they they build like a mini dollhouse big enough for somebody to like stand in it I guess uh-huh. but they they had like the camera in a certain spot so like the perspective was forced in such a way that she looked tiny yeah, maybe. and Robin looked big either way it looked fantastic I thought yeah. this was great I feel like if they try to do this trick today they do it all CG mm-hmm. and it look like crap yeah and it probably cost a fortune right for, for no real reason that's one of the common themes of this show right is that practical effects are kind of a lost art yeah I thought most of the Tinkerbell stuff looked pretty good like when she wasn't flying around like there's some scenes right here when she's walking on Robin Williams chest yeah I I thought that looked really well done. Yep, yep. Um, That's one of the things that impressed me about this movie. It, a lot of it looks really good. The set design is really good. Yeah. And a lot of the practical effects are very good. Uh-huh. I'm surprised. This movie is a, this is a pretty good looking movie. It is, especially for its time. I mean, 1991, that's a long time ago now. Yeah, and it holds up yeah. because everything was real like for the most part. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, the sets are outrageous. I can only imagine how much work went into creating Yeah, all that sets. budget went into the sets on this thing. It's wild. So Tinkerbell eventually just knocks out Robin Williams. Apparently she's super strong. Absolutely. Was she always like that? I don't remember that. Yeah, but don't. then again, I don't know anything about Peter Pan, yeah, so I'm, I don't, I'm not to take it for granted. She's like a mini Superman because she picks up Robin Williams and carries him away to Neverland yep. against his will. <laughs> <laughs> She kidnaps him. Yeah. A lot of kidnapping early on in this movie. So yeah, then our next scene is Tinkerbell dropped off Robin Williams right in the middle of Pirate Port. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's like a pirate city in Never Never Land. Yeah. Another big set. This reminded me of Waterworld a lot. (laughs) It did a little bit. It really did. (laughs) So Robin Williams does not behave well amongst these pirates. He sticks with like a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. He doesn't hide. He doesn't use any stealth or anything. He's still kind of dazed, a little confused. He still thinks he's in the real world when he's so obviously not. So clearly not. Uh, yes. He keeps talking about being a lawyer, all these pirates. What the hell's a lawyer? Yeah. What's law to these people? So Robin Williams puts on a pirate costume. He sees Captain Hook's hook being prepared by the Hooksmith. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we meet Smee for the first time. Yep. And immediately the screen is glowing with his presence. <laughs> the charisma that this guy brings from the first second is amazing. Outrageous, right? Yeah. Outlandish. I don't know how it wasn't contagious. I don't know how everyone else on this on the set just wasn't lifted up by this performance. <laughs> yeah, Bob Hoskins, he's bringing his A game. Man, this guy's good. Super Mario himself. <laughs> Yeah, so we meet Captain Hook, very flamboyant figure. All this stuff I, I'm enjoying. This is pretty fun. Uh-huh. Like the way Captain Hook is, the way he's behaving. Stupid Robin Williams can't keep his damn mouth shut and he, he shows himself off. Like he he outs himself in front of everybody. I mean, Almost he, immediately. He had no right, but he outed himself in front of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he was born and raised Robin Williams. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, usually the audience is in on our inside jokes, but this joke is so <laughs> negative and damning that <laughs> I can't allow it to be on air. <laughs> I just leave subtle hints to it <laughs> at the margins. <laughs> he was born and raised. <laughs> Okay, so so Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook grabs Robin Williams, and Robin Williams is like, yeah, it's me, I'm Peter Pan. And Dustin Hoffman does not believe it. He's like, who is this fat lump of crap on my ship? That's a direct quote, I think. He's not paraphrasing. Because <laughs> of fat lump of crap. Yeah, the only difference between you and a sack of garbage is the sack. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he said to him. <laughs> yeah, so I like this stuff. He's like, where's Peter Pan? Where's the Peter Pan? I mean, why is he so shocked that Peter Pan's all grown up? I mean, he took his kids. Yeah. And he knew that they were his kids. Yeah. So what's the deal here? I guess he was expecting him to at least know he's Peter Pan and act like Peter yeah. Pan. He's not yeah. even acting like himself, right? No, he's a totally different person. Yeah. To the point where Hook has his kids in a net and he raises them up and he says, go ahead. If you can touch your kid's hands. Free to go. You're free to go. This is all over. Short movie. <laughs> yeah. Robin Williams climbs up this post. He's daintily reaching out <laughs> his hands. <laughs> but he's like, ah, oh, that 10-foot drop, it's a little too scary for me. I can't do it. His little girl emasculates him to the very <laughs> core. He goes, come on, daddy. Mommy could do it. Woo! What a sick burn right there. Uh, man, I, I can't blame him for collapsing after that. <laughs> Man, that's, that's such a damning statement. But yeah, he, he can't do it. He's, he's a weak, 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 weak man. man. And <laughs> Hook is like, just kill this guy. Yeah, just kill him. <laughs> he is worthless. He's not even worth the trouble that this was to kidnap his children. Kill him. Kill the kids. Kill them all. This is so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. This is a lot. I'm enjoying this a lot. This is good times that are being had by all. Yeah. But then Tinkerbell shows up and she's like, hey, she appeals to Hook's vanity and says, listen, you want to be remembered forever. You want eternal glory, right? You want to be remembered as the guy who killed Peter Pan, right? You kill that guy. <laughs> it's not worth a damn. Yep. And he agrees. And she's like, all right, give me a couple days to get this guy in a fighting shape. We'll come back. We'll give you the fight of the millennium. <laughs> The war to end all wars. Yep. And he's like, all right, sure, let's let's do it. And he, they, he can't turn away those pay-per-view dollars. Yeah, yeah. So they so Tinkerbell takes him off to meet the Lost Boys. The instant, the instant the Lost Boys appear in this movie, my interest starts to plummet like a stone. <laughs> the, my what was originally a four-star classic, those stars are shooting stars. They're just dropping into a toilet, one after the other. You just hate child actors. I, I can't help it. They <laughs> suck. And in this movie, there is a multitude of his poor prepubescent performances perpetrated primarily <laughs> by these kids. There's some good ones and there's some bad ones. They're sprinkled in there. So this is when we're introduced to what, what was for me the most memorable character from this movie. Yeah, me too. And I think for most people because what person that's not around the age of 30 doesn't know what Rufy <laughs> means? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wrote it down. 53 minutes in, Rufio makes his first appearance. Uh-huh. And we were like, that was 53 minutes? Flew by. Amazing. This is a two-hour and, like, 23-minute movie. I would have guessed 30 minutes went by. Yeah, it was, like, nothing. Mm -hmm. Little did we know that the remainder of this movie would drag on, like, an eternity. <laughs> yeah, so Rufio shows up. It's like, this guy's not Peter Pan. The, let's kill him. <laughs> Everybody wants a piece of this guy. <laughs> yeah, these little kids, they put swords and knives. Cold-blooded killers. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're ready to kill him. Like like seven year old kids pull out knives and they're ready to kill him. Yeah, they're bloodthirsty. <laughs> so Rufio starts showing off some of his sweet sword skills. I mean, he comes in on like a sailboat slash skateboard thing. The hell was that? A wind wind board? <laughs> it's a wind board. All right, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> what do you think of Rufio's hair? It was a little too much. A little too much for me. Yeah. So these kids are like basically they're homeless Lord of the Flies kids. Orphans, yeah. Right? His hair looks like he went to a stylist for four hours. It's like all permed up. He's got some highlights and red red highlights in it too fancy for a lost boy in my opinion the rest of them all look like they're straight off the streets yeah, street urchins they all look like they come from different time eras which I like that there was like a civil war kid yep. and there was like a boy scout kid and super fat kid <laughs> from the super fat the times kid, from the super fat era <laughs> he's from the future <laughs> he's from modern day <laughs> So he went back in time. <laughs> All right, so they're like, this guy's not Robin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> we saw Good Morning Vietnam. That's not him. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, this guy's not Peter Pan. So Rufio makes a metaphysical, metaphorical line in the sand. Anyone who's with me and believes he's not Peter Pan, come to my side of the line. Everybody goes over there except for one lone boy who you remembered very well, right? Yeah, I remembered this this scene. It was, I think it's memorable. So this little kid, he pulls Robin Williams down by, by his collar and he starts feeling on his face. Yeah. Stretching his face out. Groping him. There's a it's heavy groping. <laughs> And he basically what he's doing is he's pulling his skin back to see what an unwrinkly old man Robin Williams would look like. And he's like, oh, hey, under these wrinkles. This and- fat old grandpa, man. <laughs> It's Peter Pan. Yeah, there he is. And his little back and forth, and then everyone's like, oh, hey, yeah, it is Peter Pan. Hooray. You know what would have been fun to say? This is what I actually thought was going on here. It would have been cool if they actually said this. This kid who recognized him as Peter Pan was by far the youngest among the Lost Boys. He yeah. looked like he was five uh-huh. or something, right? Wouldn't it be cool if he's actually the oldest? Like, he's been there the longest? Yeah, that would be cool. That'd be really cool, right? Yeah, it would be. Lost opportunity. Anyway, so they're like, hey, it's Peter Pan, so <laughs> they all go on his side. And they start training. Yeah, they have a montage. I don't know, this montage left me cold and dead in my belly. Yeah, they're having to do really stupid stuff. <laughs> this whole part was just for children, right? Very childish stuff was yes. going on here. I was actually thinking that, like, if I was a kid, like a little little kid, uh-huh. I would have eaten this up yeah. with a spoon, shoveled it into my mouth. <laughs> I would have just let it roll around in my mouth and just... <laughs> 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 that got weird. <laughs> So while Peter Pan is training and getting into game day shape, we have some cuts back to the Captain Hook's ship and we learn that Captain Hook has decided he's going to try and turn Peter Pan's kids into his minions. Double cross. He's going to turn them against their own father so that that's the ultimate victory, right? Yeah, I like it. Not only will he kill him, he's going to turn his own children against him. Pretty sweet. It's a good plan. Yeah. All right, so after a long day of training, they all head on over to the dinner table to get a bite to eat. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty memorable line. People reference this to me all the time. All the time. People, like, in everyday life, people have brought this scene up. Like, whenever we're, like, eating, like, a big meal, people are always like, oh, this is just like that time at Hook. Uh, really? I had that happen. Yeah, I have. I have never had that happen. You're not hanging with the right crowd, I guess. Or I am hanging with the right crowd. Perhaps. But <laughs> what was this dinner like? So Robin Williams looks like he hasn't eaten in four months. <laughs> 
he's like starving. He, he he can pick up the aroma in the air. Not really quite sure what it is, I guess. Because when he gets to the dinner table, they bring all these hot plates out and open up the dishes. Empty. Nothing there. Fooled ya. No food. All the kids, they start eating. They're munching down on this invisible food. And they're going at it. And Robin Williams, look, man, you, you know what it's like when you haven't eaten for a long time. Yep, been there. You get a little crabby. Done that. A little snappy. Sure. He loses his school. <laughs> He's like, what the hell are you doing? What are you eating? I'm starving. Where's the real food? Please give me real food. They're like, use your imagination, bro. Yeah, what a joker, this guy. Yeah, even Tinkerbell's like, what are you, come on, get with it, old yeah. man. Yeah, come on. So apparently the secret of the ooze here is that you have to be a 10th level imaginationist and just <laughs> imagine food before you and it'll manifest itself. Uh-huh. Now this concept brings about a lot of interesting questions. So Never Leverland is a place place where it's a land of make-believe. I'm pretty sure they say that at some point. So if you imagine something, it becomes real. I pose this question to you. Never Leverland seems to be a place built by children for children, Mm -hmm. which makes me wonder, what the hell is Captain Hook doing there? So I wonder, is he a real person or is he like a creation of someone's imagination? Like someone imagined this bad guy, like one of their fears came to life and he just kind of manifested himself there. And the mere fact that he's always present always makes him at the forefront of everybody's mind. It's kind of like this feedback loop that keeps him there. I could see two ways. I could I could definitely see it that way. And I guess the other possibility is somehow... He was a real pirate. It got lost. He was trapped there. there. And naturally, he's stuck in a place and wants to conquer it. I mean, he's a pirate, right? Your idea is much more elegant, though. So I'm going to pick on that one All right. and go with it. Uh, swish. <laughs> <laughs> After this food fight, slowly but surely, Peter is getting his memory back. He's remembering who he is and what it is to be Peter Pan. And he starts telling this story about an early memory he has. From, from his childhood. Not just childhood. In- infancy. <laughs> yeah, his infancy. He tells a story about how he ran away from his family. What, what was his reason? He had a reason, right? Because his mom and some other lady were talking about his future and they had it all planned out. He's going to go to Yale or to Oxford yeah. and he's become a billionaire uh-huh. or whatever. Yeah. And as a two-month-old, he decides... One-month-old. As a three-day-old... <laughs> He decides, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that. You know, I don't want your life. He's in a stroller. Yes, he is. How does he make this decision at that age? And how does he make a stroller move? Fart cloud, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Is, it looked just like Ghostbusters 2. It did. The stroller takes off with it a did. mind of its own. Oh, yeah. Then it's like flipped over <laughs> in a rainstorm. Yeah, like, like someone emptied out a, like a garbage can and just dumped it in the town square. And the baby's leg there on the ground. It'd probably be like dead from that. Like, the controller <laughs> just like fell over and he flew out onto the stony ground. The concrete. <laughs> so yeah, then Tinkerbell shows up, grabs him and takes him away, kidnaps him and takes him to Never Never Land. Sure, sure thing. I got a big, big problem with this. Me too. And, and perhaps for the same reason. Yeah, because we haven't talked about this. No, we haven't. He's taken there as an infant yep. to a place where you don't age. Exactly. How does he become Peter old Pan. enough to be Peter Pan? Yes. That's make any sense. That is a gigantic plot hole. It is. It is indeed. And it could have very easily been remedied by not having him be an infant. <laughs> he didn't need to be an infant to run away from those problems. He could, Yeah. Yeah. You could be 12 years old and, and run away from that problem. Giant What whiff. were they thinking? Big whiff here. <laughs> there goes another star <laughs> for my rating. Just 
flew. There it goes. Can you see it in the sky? <laughs> Make a wish. <laughs> we do get to see a little bit more of this flashback scene where Peter Pan miraculously grew up somehow, and he's going to visit Wendy for the first time. And young Wendy is played by an actress we all know and love? Question mark. Oh, we know her. We know her. I recognize her. I'm like, hey, is that so-and-so? And you're like, oh, yeah. Yep. Gwyneth Paltrow. Very, very young Gwyneth Paltrow. A young Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh-huh. Is this her first appearance on the podcast? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Triumphant debut. <laughs> And we got to find out that through the years, Peter Pan would come to visit Wendy. And every time he'd go to visit her, she'd get a little older, a little wiser, until eventually she was 10,000 years old, too old to play, mm-hmm. too old to fly. Yeah. She already had kids, and her kids had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids, and they had kids, and so on, 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 and so on. And Wendy's great, 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 great granddaughter. <laughs> was lying there in bed, right? <laughs> yeah, that seems accurate. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And so they decide right then and there, like, Peter is like, you know what? <laughs> it's pretty hot. I'm going to take her back to Neverland with me. But old Wendy, she's like, no way. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to break her heart because she could never truly have you. Yep. She loved him first. Yeah. And broke her heart. Uh-huh. And apparently Tinkerbell loved him too. Yeah, because she's there. She's watching all these events unfold. Yeah, her heart's breaking, shattering into a thousand pieces. Uh-huh. So Peter's like, all right, I'm going to give her a kiss. She's like, no, no, no. And he goes, no, a real kiss. Yeah, do it, bro. <laughs> and while this girl who he's never met is sleeping, he kisses her. Yeah. And later they get married. How romantic. Yeah. Let's uh, analyze so this relationship, shall we? Okay. Wendy met Peter as a boy. Yep. Peter remained a boy mm-hmm. and always was a boy. Mm-hmm. Wendy became a woman and all which that entails. She knows what it means to be a woman in modern society. Uh-huh. This boy reappears again, whom she still loves. Yes. Has some kind of weird relationship with uh-huh. and decides to barter off her youngest granddaughter to him just like gives him to her yep it's a present how do you feel about this <sighs> really strange really really strange yeah this was not a, a good decision I don't think no I mean like that that's someone that she loved and now she's gonna have her granddaughter marry yeah some weird jealousy that's a weird that's stuff going on really there. weird keep been in the family <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then there's Tinkerbell. So this is like a love octagon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhombus. <laughs> yeah, this is, some, this is some really weird weird stuff going on. Yeah, well, anyway, so Peter gets his memory back. He can fly once again. Oddly enough, Robin Williams is the only person in this movie that actually does fly. Aside from Tinkerbell. Yep. I thought they could all fly. Yeah, I thought Tinkerbell had infinite fairy, fairy dust that made people fly. So why is Peter the only one that can fly? Rufio should have been flying circles around this guy. Yeah, of all the people Rufio should be able to fly. Yes. But he doesn't. He can't fly. Nope. And in fact, Rufio's left in the dust and he's the lost boy yet again. Totally forgotten. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, see you later, bro. And, and he just has these sad looks on his face as well. Peter's flying circles around everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Rufio becomes completely subordinate, kneels yes. before Zod yeah. and hands him his sword back. Okay, let's, let's just fast forward to the end here. We finally get the big pirate battle that we've been promised this whole time. Mm-hmm. What'd you think about this big battle with Peter Parker? Peter Parker. Peter Pan and the Lost Boys versus Hook and the gang. What do you think of this? It, it was weird because early in the film, as we mentioned, the Lost Boys were bloodthirsty. They were. They had swords and knives. They're ready to kill. But when it comes to this final battle, they've got on like paper mache armor and they're tossing like tomatoes and stuff at the pirates. Yeah, like goo and eggs. Which is completely a completely different tone than the, the earlier part of the movie had. But whatever, I understand. Can't have kids killing people. Yeah, you can't have eight-year-olds murdering grown men. <laughs> 
But still, you know, as an action scene, it was pretty good. There was a lot of fighting going on, a lot of action. I mean, there's this is a ton of people on the set. That's true. Doing yes. stuff. And it flowed pretty well, I thought. I found this whole series of events to be tiresome. But at this point of the movie, I was like, all right, I get it. Let's get it on. Let's mm-hmm. go. Let's go. Hey, I was bored with it. I didn't really like this action scene. I was bored. But I did write in my notes. I thought to myself, if I was a kid, I would have loved this scene. Because it's all about little kids beating up pirates. Yeah. Like, they're the heroes. Yeah. They have all these cool little weapons. I'm sure if I was like eight or whatever back then, I would have loved this. I mean, the better move probably would have been to just focus on what really mattered, which is Pan versus Hook. Yes. And not all this other stuff that they were focusing on. Like, all that should have been in the background. Yeah. I mean, the movie's called Hook, but it's not really about him. No, absolutely not. It should be called Father's Day. <laughs> Alright. Is that another Robin Williams movie? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it is. Nailed it. Hey, to make a long story short, Hook slaughters Rufio in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to fight Peter Pan. But Peter Pan is like, yeah, guess what? I'm not going to fight. He takes the pacifist way out. The high road. He does take the high road. He's like, you know what? I'm not fighting you. Later. Mm-hmm. But then he's goaded into fighting by mere words alone. And he yep. goes and he fights. I don't blame him. Yeah, I mean... He threatened to kill his grandkids or whatever, right? He said, I, I did this once. I'm going to keep doing it. I can come into your world. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do this to your kids, your kids, kids, your kids, kids, kids. Yeah, sure. You got to fight them. Yeah, so they have their big protracted battle scene. And of course, what happens? Robin Williams wins, slaughters them. Yeah. Just absolutely slaughters them. <laughs> the kids start screaming. They've never seen so much blood. Like what? <laughs> A big chunk of <laughs> Dustin Hoffman's like intestine slaps on the fat kid's face. Yeah, or, <laughs> or what actually happened. Yeah, so they have this, this long dueling knife fight, battle, and eventually they get near the giant alligator that ate Captain Hook's hand originally. This alligator must be 400 million years old at this point. (laughs) (laughs) And somehow it comes to life. It does come alive. It falls on Captain Hook. It starts making alligator noises. It eats Captain Hook. It burps. Burps. Rips a hot belch. And that's it. I thought it was a taxidermied statue. I'm pretty sure it was since at one point someone puts their hand through its stomach. Yes. And it shatters like it's porcelain. Yeah, dust flies out of it. Yeah. All right, here's the argument I'll make. It's magic? Okay, here's the argument I'll make. (laughs) Let's assume that Captain Hook is a real person. Okay. If he believes the crocodile's real, then it becomes real. Okay. Yeah. How's that for an argument? All right. That's fine. I'll let it slide. (laughs) Draw for the win. Okay. Thank you. And and that's it. So the end. (laughs) Yeah. That's Hook. It all ends on a happy ending. Mm -hmm. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. Hook is overwhelmed by a screenplay heavy with complicated exposition by what are, in effect, big, busy, non-singing, non-dancing production numbers and some contemporary cant about rearing children and the high price paid for success. Vincent Canby, New York Times. No matter how much cash Hook earns, it will take more than pixie dust to fly this overstuffed package into our dreams. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone. And finally, the exposition is so underlined and re-underlined, you can teach yourself to fly with waiting for something to happen. Deson Thompson, Washington Post. Okay, Kevin, this movie currently holds a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? No, I don't think so. I'm going to give this a three out of five. I think this is a good children's movie for sure. And it wasn't terrible to sit through this time. Yeah, it probably goes on a little too long, but I mean, compared to the crap that we have to watch here, (laughs) this this really isn't terrible. It was entertaining, at least for most of the film. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give it a really 
light three. Really low ball three. Just enough to make it a three. I mean, once I saw that old man doing backflips at the end of the movie, uh, I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right, you, you win. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was riding high in the beginning. All the Neverland stuff sucks, I think. At least all the Lost Boys stuff sucks. Yeah. It's bad. It's just piss poor crap. Mm-hmm. But Dustin Hoffman, Bob Hoskins, they pull out all the stops. They do a really fun performance to keep you involved. So yeah, this actually is a really good kid movie. Yeah. So if I look at it through that lens, then yeah, three out of five. It's not a 29 percenter, I don't think. No, I don't think so. Okay, let's read some listener mail. Miles writes in and says, Great work this week. I really hated that Spawn movie. There was just so much random bull honky. Although, I did enjoy the weekend Satanist line. I have seen some silly things bolted to guns, giant flashlights, spike bayonets, other guns with the most ridiculous being variations of the contraption see below. Kevin, I sent you a picture of that. Did you see it? Oh, was that the gun with like the chainsaw? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of that? Like something of a video game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Miles is talking about how in Spawn, one of the characters had a gun that shot green goo out of it uh-huh. that was flammable. But I know of no flammable slime shooters attached to guns. There are some slime guns floating around, but these are standalone, less lethal crowd control devices that stick people together in a giant mess. But I know of no circumstance where one was used in action. That'd be weird. What? If you're like in a group of people, you get shot with something that makes you stick to each other. A thought occurs, though, that a device as described that shoots napalm would basically be a combination gun slash flamethrower, which there might be a market for if it wasn't totally illegal. Since when has that stopped the market? (laughs) Yeah, the black market. (laughs) The fat rocket writes in and says, Hey guys, I just listened to the Spawn episode and felt compelled to write in. At one point at the beginning of the episode, Joel said Michael Jai White has not really been in much since Spawn, and I must beg to differ. First of all, Mr. White was in the epic Universal Soldier, The Return, alongside the god of bad movies, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And Bill, I used to be a big-time awesome wrestler guy, Goldberg. By the way, at 6% around tomatoes, this movie is ripe for review. But more recently and more seriously, Mr. White landed the plum role of Gamble in The Dark Knight. If you don't, Shut up, that's him? If you don't remember, Gamble is the crime boss who put a price on the Joker's head and paid for his disrespect with his life. Remember, I watched that today. Did you? Today! <laughs> I watched that scene. Uh, also, I wanted to suggest if you wanted to see Spawn in a different medium than comics and not want to gouge your eyes out at the end, check out the awesome animated series HBO created the same year the movie came out. The difference in quality between the movie and the series is like night and day. Joey writes in and says, Hey guys, I just wanted to tell you your podcast is awesome. I am a new listener, but in a week I have listened to 75% of the podcast and I can't get enough. I have a question for you. I know you don't review comedies because comedies are made for certain people, but what in your opinion is the worst comedy you have ever seen? There is a reason comedy is subjective and I would love to hear your opinions. Also, anything from WWE Studios is great for your show. What do you think? I think I need to give it another shot, but... It's a hard question. I hated Anchorman. Yeah? I hated it. People love that thing. I know, and which makes me think I need to give it another shot because it's like maybe it's one of those things you just got to watch a few times. But the first, I've only seen it once and I don't even think I finished it. It's a tough question. I feel like if I watched the bad comedy, I would just forget it completely. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm going to have to think on this. DJ Clive writes in and says, Hey guys, long time listener, first time emailer, DJ Clive here. This is actually an old email I'm resending. It's a good email, I swear. I felt compelled to write you after hearing your review of The Perfect Storm, a movie I was forced to watch on a bus ride to Atlantic City. Joel mentioned at the end how it bothered him because this was based on real events. He couldn't buy these big name actors playing these true life characters and it ended up taking 
taking him out of the movie. Well, I've just got to say, I felt the same way about the movie I was forced to watch on the ride coming back from Atlantic City, an equally disastrous film based on real life, the Julia Roberts stinker, Aaron Brockovich. Truly, I didn't remember a lot about this load of cinematic tripe, but I'll never forget how angry I got watching the ending. Aaron Brockovich went through all these trials and tribulations, pain and hardship, and at the end, all her hard work pays off as she is handed a check for $2 million. She looks at the check, her mouth gapes open, and credits... All I could think about at that moment was Julia Roberts having to pretend to be excited over $2 million when, in truth, she was paid $20 million to star in that movie. The woman who actually accomplished something and inspired the movie was paid 10 times less than some fish-faced actress mimicking her moves and accomplishing nothing. I remember wanting to shout at the screen, but I had to hold it in because I was in a bus full of people. If I weren't already disengaged in that movie, that movement all out pulled the plug. That's pretty harsh. Okay, thanks for the emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yes, that at gmail.com. Now it's time for the question of the week, and the question of the week comes in from Margaret. Margaret says, what movies do you think are actually better than the book? I know Joel doesn't read because he has much more important things to do, like shaving and learning magic tricks. Usually, a book will always be better than the movie, but I personally like the Forrest Gump movie better than the book, as well as Big Fish. I thought these two movies were more focused and engaging than the actual books. P.S. By the way, I love how Joel's tone of voice sounded normal when he mentioned that Kevin got back from his honeymoon, only to suddenly change into a tone that can only be described as infinite joy at the mention of Kevin being sick and his week back from the honeymoon not being so great. I always get the impression that Joe grins like a Cheshire cat every time Kevin suffers in some way. That's 110% true. (laughs) Why is that, Joel? Ah, I don't know. Boys will be boys, I guess. So, Kevin, movie that's better than the book. I can think of one. I can't really think of any right up right now. My answer is Contact. The movie is so much better than the book because the book is really long and goes down all these pointless tangents that amount to nothing, whereas the movie cuts all that crap out and just goes straight to the heart of the matter. So the movie's I, better than the book. I've never read it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Fight Club. I agree with you. I have read it. I, I, again, the movie's better just because it's more streamlined and yeah. gets to the point. There you go. Head on over to YesThatBad.com. Leave a comment on this episode page with your answer. Okay, now it's time to announce next week's movie. And as you may or may not know, Kevin, next week, it's our 75th episode Spectacular! Whoa! Can you believe it? Well done, sir. We did it. We made it. We did it. Oh, I can't believe it. (laughs) So in honor of our upcoming milestone, we'll be dipping in to that oh-so-famous and favorite franchise of ours, Twilight. Heading back into the world of Bella Swan to, to Forks, Washington, to watch the Twilight Saga Eclipse. Kevin, do you have any uh, hopes, dreams, aspirations? I just hope it's better than New Moon. (laughs) I don't know how it can be worse. We can hope and pray. Perhaps we'll see some more bulging biceps, Team Jacob. (laughs) Team Jacob all the way. Okay, once again, tune in next week when we will be watching Twilight Eclipse. Okay, thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please help spread the word of the show to all your friends by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash yeah, it's that bad. You can follow us on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. You can follow Martin at yeah, it's Martin. You can follow Kevin at yeah, it's Kev. And you can listen to the show on all your mobile devices via Stitcher at stitcher.com slash yeah, it's that bad. Put in the promo code yeah, it's bad. And you'll really be helping out the show. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time. The mom takes a nap. Yeah. She just goes to bed and goes to sleep without saying a word. Maybe she's jet lagged. (laughs) You know, I had a really rough day. (laughs)
I'm going to bed. I'll deal with this in the morning. Don't wake me, I plan on sleeping in. <laughs> Man, my chest hurt. <laughs> that really got me. <laughs>